What a day we're living in. What a day we're living in. You know, there's, there's, we've got to be really careful because you can, you know, if you hop on the internet right now, there's all kinds of stuff flying around the internet about this and that and, you know, the end's now, it's coming, we better get ready and we better get ready. It is coming. I believe that wholeheartedly, you know, but you just got to be really careful. A lot of times patience will unveil things in your life. If we don't just react all the time and we, and we just let God kind of do what he's doing and he'll reveal things to you and he'll show you what's going on if you'll let him reveal those things to you. And so, you know, I just want to caution you, I guess, be careful what you're listening to. I'm not saying anybody's wrong or because I, I, I don't know. You know, with all, especially with the war in Ukraine and what's going on and there's some stuff happening around Israel right now that you're probably not even hardly hearing about because that always makes me wonder. When the, when the news is so focused on one thing, like what's really going on, because a lot of times I think they're just using that to smoke and mirror everything and keep your focus over here when there's way more important stuff happening. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. I don't know anymore, hardly... I have a real hard time. I question everything I see on the news. And it don't matter who reports it, really, because everybody's got an agenda, right? So just be cautious. Be aware. Be in prayer. Ask God, God, what are you doing? What's going on? I don't want to listen to what CNN tells me, everything, Fox, whoever. I don't want them to be, I want to hear from God. God, you direct me. You let me know what's happening. You let me know what I'm supposed, because you know what? God's going to unveil his plan. Like his will is going to be accomplished in this earth. And we can get all worked up about that. We can get all bent out of shape and we can get all distracted. Really, you need to be praying, God, what, what, what are you doing in, in my life right now? Because really, this is the only bit of influence I have anyway. I mean, I'll pray for, the, for what's going on, and I'll, I'll pray for it. But in the end, I can only control what I'm doing. So what am I supposed to be doing, Lord? What are you leading me to do? And a lot of times that takes patience. We live in this microwave world that we just want God to, like, jump at our every bidding. And God, he's God. <laughs> Who am I to even? The only thing I can stand on is his word. Those are the only things I can even hold him accountable to because he is God. And for me to say, God, I need you to do this. Well, you better watch what you're saying. I don't know. I think there needs to be a little bit of a impartation of awe and reverence and fear of God in our lives this last day. Okay. I don't even know if I got a head shake on that, but I want to have an awe and a reverence and a fear of who God is in my life and in this world. 
I don't want to be casual about my relationship with him. I don't want to be half-hearted about it. And more and more, he's, he's showing me how I am kind of casual a lot of times, and I am a bit half-hearted. I'm a little bit more focused on my kingdom than his kingdom in many, many times. I guess I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about that today. Thank you, Tony, for all you do, man. Why do you give that guy a hand clap? He does so much around here. A lot of you don't. He does so much in the background. You just see this, though. He does so much in the background. I'm so thankful for all that he does. John 20, chapter 11, or John 20, verse 11. So Jesus has now went to the cross. The cross, he's been crucified. He's been buried in the tomb. And this is the first day of the week, that following Monday. You, you find that Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene was, it's not Mary the mother of Jesus, it's Mary Magdalene. She was the one that was standing there when Jesus said they were going to stone her, the, all, the, all the Pharisees were going to stone her for her um, being a being a harlot, and uh, Jesus said, "If if you got, if none of you have any sin, go ahead and cast the stone." And they all walked. That's that's her. She's she was possessed by devils, and God healed her. She's the Mary. She's Mary and Martha, the one who sat at Jesus' feet, and uh, the brother of Lazarus, who God uh, raised out of the tomb. This is that Mary. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Just to clarify that. And um, so Mary, she had ended up going to the tomb. And I'm going to start up here in verse 11. It says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down, and she looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and, and she saw Jesus standing, and she knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And when he spoke her name, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my Father and your Father, and go to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about or today about which crew are you in? Which crew are you in? That's going to make a lot more sense as I go along here. But if you could, I want you to put your Bibles down for a moment. Lift your hands and just ask God to speak to you. God, I pray you speak to us today, God. Speak to me, God. 
God, the things you've been speaking to me, I pray you speak it to all of us, Lord. And I pray, God, that you give revelation and you give ears to hear clearly and to eyes to see clearly, God. Speak to each and every one of us right where we're at. We're all in different places in our walk with you, God. We're all at different uh, junctures in our life. And I pray, God, that, Lord, you would speak to each and every one of us right where we're at today, God. And let your word move us and let your word do a work work in our lives for the for your glory it's for your glory it's for the kingdom's sake god for we are your hands and we are your feet we are your body in this earth god and we pray that you lead us and you guide us and you direct us in all that we do for your glory in jesus name and if you want god to do that shout out the name jesus, jesus. clap your hands to the lord one more time thank you god thank you god you know, the activation in the office and the gifting of the Spirit is happening, and God is preparing us to see billions added to the church in these last days. Amen? Now, y'all, I got four amens and a bunch of looks. I'm telling you what, God is getting ready to add billions to the church in these last days. He's getting ready to pour out an end-time harvest that nothing in this world has ever seen before. The barriers that we look at and say, God, oh, well, they don't really want it, God. There's all these people I come in contact with, and they don't really. God's going to touch lives in ways that he never has before, and he's going to draw people into his church in these last days like he's never done before. You need to start believing that. You need to start expecting it. You need to start speaking it. You need to prophesy it until it comes to pass. Amen. There's, you know, that sounds kind of crazy because we've sat in so many churches for so many years and there's how many of us in here? A hundred? 120, 130 on a week in and week out, and it's hard for our minds to think that God could reach billions of people when week in and week out we sit in sanctuaries just like this. But my God, listen, there's a, there's a 50% rule. I just heard this the other day, and I was like, my God, how simple. I've read that, I've read that setting of Scripture so many times over the years. He said there's going to be one at the mill and, or two at the mill. One's going to go. One's going to stay. There's going to be two working in the field. One's going to go. One's going to stay. There's going to be two laying in the bed. One's going to go and one's going to stay. Amen. So that right there by the word of God tells me there's going to be at least a 50% of the population of the earth that's going to go. Amen. That right there is like three and a half to four billion people. That means that in Goshen, Indiana, there's going to be at least about eighteen to 20,000 people that are going to come to God. They're going to repent of their sins. They're going to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins. And God's going to fill them with the Holy Ghost. And we get to be part of it. Amen. And we should claim it. And we should preach it. And we should declare it at all times until we see it come to pass. Look, I would way rather say that that's going to happen than say it's not going to happen. Because if I say it's not going to happen, I'm telling people, you're not going to be saved. <sighs> nah, -uh. We're going to preach it. We're going to 
we're going to prophesy it. We're going to declare it. Amen. And if I'm wrong and if you're wrong and if we're going to be wrong, we're going to be wrong on that side of the equation that walks in faith and expects it to happen and not doubt and not unbelief. I know. I understand. Not everybody's going to choose Jesus. I know that. You know that. We know that. But my God, I'm going to believe that most of them want to. They may not know it yet, but God Almighty is going to touch their life at one point, and he's going to draw them. They're search- all those p- Everybody's out there searching for something, and we got it. It's called the Holy Ghost. It's called Jesus Christ. Amen. They just don't know it. They think we're in bondage. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, I've been in bondage. I've been in bondage. I've been so addicted to things in my life that I didn't know. I, everything from the waking thought I had till I went down, if I went down to sleep, hallelujah, was about getting my next fix, getting my next drug, getting my next thing to fill this emptiness in me. Amen. But Jesus stepped into my life one day, and he filled that emptiness with me. And, and my God, I've never needed any of that stuff again. I've never. And that God has never woke me up and said, you got to come. You got to do it. No, he said, you get to do it. And I said, thank you, Lord, that I get to do it. I do it because I love him. I do what I do because I want him to be pleased with me. I want him to be pleased. I'm not going to be shocked when the multitudes come in. I'm not going to be shocked. Amen. I'm just going to dance a little more. You guys think we get crazy in here now? (laughs) We ain't seen anything yet. (laughs) We ain't seen anything yet. So, John chapter 20 Again, Jesus is dead, been buried. And verse 1 says that Mary Magdalene went on the first day of the week when it was still yet dark to the sepulcher and seen the stone taken away from the sepulcher. When she got there, she didn't know what was going on. She didn't know what was happening. But she seen that stone rolled away. And so it kind of alarmed her and it kind of, it kind of freaked her out. She's like, what's going on? So she runs to go find Peter and John. And she tells Peter and John they've taken Jesus out of the tomb. She's now seeing that Jesus is gone. He's not in there. So she runs to go tell who? Peter and John, right? And so Peter takes off to go see about it, and John goes with him. And, and, and these two take off running towards the tomb. And, and the Bible tells us that John outran Peter. John gets there first, but he doesn't go into the tomb. He just looks in. He outran Peter to get to where Jesus had been, but once he gets there, he's not willing to go all the way in. And you know what? See, there's a, there's a crew of fast runners in the church. There's a crew of fast runners in the church. We've got a lot of people that Jesus really loves, and they want to be in the church to a certain point, but they don't want to have to be committed to the church John was willing to go see if what Mary had said was really true, but he wasn't willing to go into all that God had for him in that moment. He ran there faster than Peter, but once he got there, he wasn't willing to go a bit further and step into what was before him. 
And so we can't always think that the most spiritual-looking person in the church is going to be the first one leading the charge into end-time harvest and revival. We can't think the one that just looks the part all the time that they're automatically going to be the one that leads the charge in this thing because we don't know. Remember, Peter is right behind him. And Peter was the one that had all the issues. John's referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter doesn't have such a good reputation. He's the one that was often being rebuked by Jesus. He's the one that often had a bad attitude. I mean, he's the one who took a knife to a prayer meeting in the garden. He took his knife. All the other disciples are out there praying and stuff, and he's packing heat, going to a prayer meeting with Jesus. I mean, come on. Peter said more alone than all the other disciples put together. He had a short fuse, and he could get mad real quick. I mean, look at it. These, these men come looking for Jesus, and they just start saying the wrong thing. And, and Peter, who's packing, whips out that sword and chops the dude's ear off. That's Peter. He had cussed before. He was a brawler. It seems that he wasn't very happy unless he was fussing and fighting. And he was a liar. He was even a liar. He had lied several times. He was sitting there with a group of people, and they're like, hey, you're one of those Jesus people. You're one of his followers. And he said, oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I'm not with him. And then he even tried to blend in with the crowd so that they wouldn't know that he was one of Jesus' followers. Peter denied the Lord in the hour that Jesus needed him the most. And Jesus even called Peter Satan at one time. Not a very good reputation, if you ask me. Not a good resume. That's not someone that we would look at and think that, yeah, they're the one that's going to lead the revival. That's the one that's going to do great things for God's kingdom and lead, lead many, many people to Jesus. This guy was the least one that you would think would be the first one in the tomb, but yet he was. So we as the church, we got to be really careful that we don't write off the troublemakers in the church. Don't discount them that seem to cause trouble at times. The ones that are not getting everything together right away or the, or the first time that they hear something. We can't run them out the back door just yet as troublemakers because God has a plan for them too. God has a plan and a purpose for their life too. And it's in the body of Christ. And at least they've proven that they've got the ability to have an opinion and some drive to do something for the kingdom. You can convert somebody that has an opinion and doesn't know any better. You can lead somebody to truth that will cause them to change their opinion or their view of things. But you cannot convert or convince indifferent people. You can't convert spiritually apathetic and comfortable people in the church. They need deliverance. They need deliverance from their spiritual slumber. And that's on them to shake themselves and to wake themselves up. You can't convert people that are comfortable just being in the church while the whole world is going to hell around them. The ones that are okay just getting close to the miracles. The ones that are okay just being close to what God is doing. People that are okay with that need to be shaken. And God 
God will help you shake yourself out of your sleep. But you first have to want to be shaken because he won't shake you unless you ask him to shake you because our God will never make you do anything. But if you ask him and you say, God, I see where I've become comfortable. God, I see where my eyes have become heavy and now I'm sleeping. God, I want you to shake this off of me. God, shake my slumber off. He will reach into your life and he will shake you and he will quicken you and he will renew you. But someone that's hungry for God and the things of God, even though they don't have everything just right, and they behave unseemly at times because they're at least trying to do something for God, those ones can be taught and developed and matured into into the powerful men and women that God has created them and called them to be. You can grow into what God wants you to be. Just keep growing. Just keep pushing. God, shake me if I get apathetic. God, shake me if I get comfortable. I don't want to be comfortable, God. There's a whole world dying around me, God. I don't want to be satisfied with just you blessing my life. I want to do something for the kingdom of God. And God, if you got to shake me, shake me. So Peter was the first one into the, that tomb, not John. The one that by our understanding and standards should have been the first into the tomb wasn't. The one that we think isn't even worthy or able for that matter because of their faults to be the first in the tomb was. I think that for many of us we're going to be surprised because of the, one that, the ones that God is going to use to lead us into end time harvest and revival. They're not going to be the ones that we think are supposed to be the ones leading the charge. The ones that we look at and think they have it all together and they're so spiritually fit. They just may very well be the ones standing on the outside looking in while the Peters are running up and running right past them. And the Johns are the ones standing there looking into the tomb as Peter runs in there. That person that you heard cussing last week, he's going to be the one that's the first one into the tomb this week. Amen. That one that seems to have an attitude about everything may be the one that runs right past some of us and steps into what God has for them. And Jesus may have rebuked them publicly two weeks ago, but the minute revival breaks out and the minute the spirit starts moving and ministry starts happening, that person with the potty mouth is going to be the first one in the altar. That one with the worst attitude is going to be the first one at the prayer meeting and the last one to leave because they want something from God. And all those that thought, would you just sit down and be quiet? Would you just quit causing so many issues for all of us? They're going to be doing what John did. They're going to wait on somebody else to go first. You know, Jesus did say something about the elder will serve the younger. And I I don't think that's just talking about age. I think that's a principle. There's going to be people that have been in the church, thanks be to God, for decades. People that have been in the church for years. And I'm thankful for every one of you that have. I'm, I'm glad I've been here as long as I have. I'm thankful for that. But those, some of those, they're they're not gonna. Be the ones that lead the charge in the end time revival and harvest. 
But God may be drawing some that have been in the kingdom only a little while. Those that are new converts. They haven't been saved so long to think it's okay to not believe the promises of God. They've been in the church just long enough to be a bit dangerous. And they're going to upset some apple carts. And I'm not talking about the apple carts of the world. I'm talking about the apple carts of the church. We're always thinking that revival starts with what God is going to do out there. My God. But revival starts with what God has to break up and run out of his house first. Because revival always starts in the house of God. So there's going to be a little Peter here and there in the kingdom that God's going to use to lead what he's doing and to bring revival. Nobody ever thought that kind, sweet, innocent David would be the one down there trying to rally the whole army of Israel. But unlike all of those soldiers of Israel that had pedigree and they'd been in the army for so long, David didn't, hadn't been in the military long enough to expect to be defeated. You hear me, church. David hadn't been in the church long enough to expect the, day, the devil to be the superpower in this world today. He hadn't been convinced that the enemy was the one that was going to win, but he was convinced that his God would win and that his God would do exactly everything he ever said. So he goes down there before all those seasoned soldiers and he states the obvious. Who is this that would even try to defy the army of the living God? Surely God would deliver him into our hands. But his brethren, it was his brethren, the soldiers, they tried to shut him up. And the reason his brother tried to shut him up and his, it was his brothers that were doing it. The reason that they tried to shut him up wasn't just because they were afraid of what would happen to them if they stepped into battle. But they had too much pride to admit that David was right and they were wrong. They had too much pride to say, yeah, we've been sitting here all this time. And this Philistine has been coming out. And every time he comes, we run and hide. Because we don't believe our God can do what he says. Some of you seasoned saints need to let the faith and the zeal of a new convert get back on you. Ah, some of us have been in church so long and we've seen so many things that, that our faith is kind of more in what the devil is doing than what our God is doing. Our faith is more in what we see going on around us than what our God declares about what's going on around us. You remember when you first got saved? Do you? You remember how fired up you were? You were ready to chew every devil's head off. Cast them out. Yeah, chew their heads off. You're ready to win the world. Oh, God, help us. And here we are years later. Church is an option. I said this in the, this ain't in my notes, but I said this in the pre-service prayer. Jesus... God himself, robed himself in flesh, walked on this earth, went to a cross, and died for us. That's how much Jesus loves the body of Christ, the church, the church. 
Did we get everything right? Nope. But that's all right. God's, he'll take care of it. He's going to fix everything. But that's how much he loves the church. Do I have that kind of love for the body? Or is it just something that's optional to me? Is it just a convenient relationship? Well, we know, and I know, look, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about us. We are the church. If you've been, if you've repented, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you are now a joint heir to the throne of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. It's the church. Do we love the church? Do I love you? Do you love me? Do you love each other? Some of you are like, I'm not going to come to group. I'm not going to come to this. I'm not going to go to that. It's a little bit inconvenient, blah, blah, blah. Or I'm not getting anything out of it. Mm. What about what you can give to it? What about what you can give to it? Okay, that's all a side note. Take that home and let it rock you in your prayers tonight. Shake us, Lord. Shake us, Lord. Shake us of our apathy. So we see John stooping down and looking in, but he wouldn't go in. But then here comes Peter, and he went right straight into the sepulcher, and he sees the linen clothes lying there. And then in verse number 8 says, John was finally able to pray through. So you guys are okay. Just pray through. God will redeem you. Okay, you guys didn't think that was funny. Maybe you guys, I'm going to let that go. So John and John and uh, Peter go in there, and they're there for a minute, and they're checking everything out. And then in verse 10, it says that the disciples went away again to their own home. So they left. Nothing's going on here. There's his clothes. Jesus is gone. We don't know where his body is. Well, let's go home. Let's go home, Peter. Okay, John, let's go. So this represents another crew in the church. Those that have not learned the principle of they that wait on the Lord. They're willing to go to the house and they're willing to have comfortable church and they're even willing to pray with people on the altar a bit. The two or three of them that actually showed up. But that was enough for them. They were okay with just showing up. I mean, these disciples should have known better than anybody in this world the promises that Jesus had made. And if somebody was going to wait on him, it should have been them. And it begs the question also, where were the other nine disciples at? Why weren't any of them there in the place where Jesus was supposed to be? Why weren't any of them, any of them there? But nope, Peter and John are okay with going in. And then they just head back to their house to hide out like the other disciples were. Because that's why the other disciples were not there. They were hiding because they were scared of what might happen to them because they were one of Jesus' followers. But Mary, uh, Mary, the scripture says in verse 11, she stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the sepulcher and she sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet of the where the body of Jesus had lain. And they asked her in verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? 
And her response is so shocking to me, and it should be one of those verses that causes every one of us to begin to shake ourselves because her response is, I'm weeping because I'm looking for Jesus and I can't find him. I don't know what happened to him, and I don't know where he's at, and that's causing me to weep because I can't find my Lord. My God, where is the church that weeps because we can't find Jesus? Where is the burden in the church that won't let us just go home after the service? Where's our hunger for Jesus that says, I'm not leaving until I've heard his voice and he's called my name? Where's the church that cries out like Mary did and says, my weeping is because I'm looking for Jesus. I can't find him right now. I don't know where he's at. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to sit here because this is where I was supposed to meet with him. This is where he was supposed to be. I don't know where he went, but I'm going I'm to stay here. And I'm going to weep and I'm going to seek him until I can find him. He's supposed to be here. This is where he was last at, but now I can't find him. But imagine this. When she tells them why she's there, she looks back and there stands Jesus. Well, because he looked like a gardener, she didn't even recognize him. And he says, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? In verse 15, says she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Mary says, that's all I'm asking. Just tell me where you've taken him, and I'll go get him. Just let me know where he is and I'll take him away because I don't want anything but Jesus. I don't want anything but to be with Jesus. I just got to know where he is. That's Mary's heartbeat. I just got to find him. Tell me where he is. Show me where he is because I got to find him. That's her heartbeat. You know, Paul said the same thing later. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, he said, For I determined not to know anything, anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, there's a lot of people that will go to church like John and Peter, and they're willing to stay while song service and the preaching's going on. And they may even pray with a few of the people on the altar, but then they're satisfied and they want to go home. They're okay with stepping into where Jesus is, but then they are going to want to leave and to take care of whatever they have planned for after the service or the prayer meeting or whatever's going on, whatever needs they have that pull them away. But then there's another group, there's another crew that will tarry a little while longer until they've had an encounter with Jesus. And then that group, that crew's going to go home. They say, we saw angels. We had a move of God in service today. The Holy Ghost was moving. I worshiped. I prayed a bit with people. I even ministered to some people. But now let's go home. That's another crew in the church. But then there's this other crew. It says, let, not, let me not leave until he calls my name. They say, I'm not leaving here. Until he confirms that he and I actually have a relationship. I don't want to assume 
But I want to know that I am in relationship with my God. And I want my God to be the one himself to tell me that. Look, the only way that I can assure the fact that I'm going to be part of the end time harvest and that he's going to trust me with apostolic ministry in this last days is if I've got a real deal, bona fide, deep, personal, intimate relationship with him. Not the kind of relationship where in in eternity he says, I never knew you. But a, a relationship where he tells me I am his friend. See, we need to understand that those words, I never knew you, are not going to be spoken to the lost. But Jesus is going to say those words, and he's going to speak those words to the church. Those are words to the church, not the lost. He's going to tell some in the church, I never knew you. That's not to the lost, but that word is to the church. Those are the ones that are going to be part of that other church that says, hey, Jesus, we cast out devils in your name. We did all of these things in your name, God. And he's going to say, yeah, yeah, you did. You sure did do all that. But I never knew you. You were part of the bride. You married me. You took my name on in baptism. But you never let me have a relationship with you. That scripture was written to the church, not to the lost. That should freak every one of us out. He's telling the church, it's not enough for you to have my name only. It's not enough for you to just get access to my blessings and promises and even power. It's not enough for you to just have your sins washed away and for me to fill you with my spirit. Yes, you got to do that. Yes, you have to do that. It's unnegotiable. You have to do it. You must be born again of the water and of the spirit or you shall not enter into or even see the kingdom of God. You have to repent of your sins. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins and take that name on in baptism. And you have to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. But that's just the beginning. That's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. That just brings you into relationship with him. But now i got to build there. If I would have only spent one week with my wife, we wouldn't be married. You've got to do all that. But it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. i got to build relationship with him. i got to get intimate with him. I gotta know him and him know me. I gotta get his heartbeat in me and his his desire in me. I gotta understand who he is through prayer and through fasting and through studying the word and through time spent with him. I've gotta build a relationship with him. Because Jesus wants you to get so close to him that you're you got the willingness to have faith for what he's promised to you. He wants to get so intimately involved in relationship that he becomes your everything. That you and I will be like Mary and say, I just want Jesus. I don't want all this other stuff in the world. I don't care about all that other stuff. That's okay, God. I thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your provision. But God, even if you take all that, I still have to have you. 
And if we want God to partner with us in his, his end-time harvest and revival, it's going to come to people who stayed long enough for him to call them by their name. It's going to be for those that were willing to not only have an encounter with Jesus and seek his blessings and his provision, but those that tarried with him in his presence until he calls them by their name because they have a relationship with him. And let me just tell you, when a desire for relationship with him like that grips us, there's going to be a lot of people out there that call us crazy. They'll call you extreme. Your family members, your friends, your coworkers, people from other, other churches are even going to call you crazy. And they'll even try to get you to tone that down a bit because they're just like David's brothers that have too much pride to admit that they've been comfortable and apathetic and indifferent to the loss of this world. And so they'll attack you because they know they are guilty of not being and pursuing everything that God has created them to be. And they're going to say things to you like, oh, yeah, you guys over there at that New Life Church, you're some of them people that are just so spiritually minded that you are no earthly good. You ever heard that saying? You've been around for a while. You've heard that say. You're so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. And I used to think that that was probably a good saying. But I don't believe that. That's a lie. That is a lie. Because let me tell you, that is correct. Because the only earthly, earthly value anybody has is to be heavenly minded. I have no earthly value if I'm earthly minded. I have to be heavenly minded to be a value in this earth to people. If you're not spiritually minded, then you have no earthly value, period. Paul said in Galatians 4, 19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Not the earth. Not the earth's philosophies and the earth's way of thinking and all that. Till Christ be formed in you. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, i got to be about my father's business. I'm only here for ki kingdom purpose, and that's it. He didn't have his eyes set on the earth. He wasn't earthly. He was spiritual. Everything about him was about the kingdom's business. If I want to be any value in this earth, I have to be spiritually minded because my mind is a mess. We have to get so desperate for Jesus that we're willing to tarry, tarry until he calls our name just like Mary was. And when he calls her name, she turns to him and she calls him Rabbi, which means master. And then he says something very interesting. This is... He tells her, don't touch me. You know, I wonder, I wonder if we're truly apostolic if our pursuit of God doesn't ever require him to say, hey, 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 hold on a minute there, buddy. You've come as close as you can for right now. I mean, does our pursuit of God leave him always saying to us, please don't stop. Please keep coming. Please keep searching. Please keep looking. Or have we ever pressed so close to him that he has to say to us, come no closer. 
If I anoint you anymore, you won't be able to handle it. If I reveal any more to you right now, it will be too much for you. You can't get any more of me right now. I don't want my pursuit of God to leave him begging me to come closer to him. I don't want my pursuit of my relationship with God to leave him wondering if I want more or not. Wondering if I'll even go after what he's offering me. But I I want him to have to say to me what the angel said to Jacob after he wrestled with him all night. He said, release me. The sun's coming up. See, Jacob was in a big situation. He thought he was probably going to die. He thought his brother would probably kill him. So he goes out and he... He has a prayer meeting, and an angel comes to him, and he starts praying and wrestling with this angel. And when he wakes up, and as the morning comes up and the sun begins to rise, that angel says, let me go. The sun's coming up. See, the angel was testing Jacob. It wasn't that he wasn't supposed to be seen in the daylight as an angel. He was telling Jacob, I know you got stuff to do. I know that you have stuff to going on and things that you need to take care of instead of staying here and wrestling with me. You got a big plate on your, before you today. You got your whole family, everything you own is traveling all at one moment. You got a lot going on. It's morning time. You can let go now. He's saying, so if you want to go, I won't, I won't hold it against you if you just go on to work now and take care of business. I know you've got to get the kids up early. So if you want to go home from church now, I'll understand. It's okay. I know you need to go make some money to build your 401 and retirement plan, so it's okay if you make sure to take care of that. I mean, you're busy. you got a life, and you got a family, and you got a career, and you got all these things you got to take care of. So it's okay if you go. We've been sitting here wrestling for a while. It's okay if you go now. But Jacob was in the Mary crew. And Jacob wasn't willing to just be touched. Jacob told him, my household can take a moment and it can take care of itself for now, for this day. I've been trying to get through to something during a night season and I'm not letting you go now. I've been going through hell on earth. Do you think I'm going to turn loose of my faith in God now? So again, the angel tests him by touching Jacob in the hollow of his thigh. And he says, okay, Jacob, you're going to walk a little different now. I just transformed you. You're going to be a little bit different. You're going you're to walk different from here on out. And Jacob looks at that angel and he says, I'm still not letting you go. So the angel's like, I've already changed the way you're going to walk forever. And Jacob said, yeah, but I still have to answer to what I've always answered to in my life. See, a limp is not going to be enough. And let me tell you, the end time harvest is going to be staffed by people who say a limp is not enough. Seeing an angel in the church is not going to be enough. Seeing a move of God is not going to be enough. Being in the presence of the heavenlies itself is not even going to be enough. But Jacob said, You're going to change my name. (sighs) And you're going to call that name. 
And when you change my name and you call it, he said, then I will be satisfied. He said, I'm not going to answer to the name of unbelief anymore. I'm not going to answer to the name of backbiter and backstabber anymore. But you're going to change my name. And you're going to acknowledge that name. Amen. you got people in here right now. You need to get up and tell God, look, I'm not going to be satisfied until you change my name. I'm not going to be called by addict anymore. I'm not going to be called by depression anymore. I'm not going to be called by fear anymore. I'm not going to be called by comfort anymore. I want you, Lord. I want you, God. And I want you to change my name. And I'm not going to leave until you change my name. I'm not going to let the cares of life and all this world draw me away from what I'm asking you to do in my life. I'm going to seek you. The Bible says, seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Ask and it shall be given. Amen. But you've got to seek him and you've got to knock and you've got to ask. And then you've got to keep seeking and you've got to keep knocking and you've got to keep asking until he does what you're asking. And not get distracted by everything else. Jacob said, you're going to change my name. Because I'm not limping out of here with just a limp. Uh -uh. He said, I'm limping out of here with my name changed. That's the Mary crew. I'm going to stay until I find Jesus. Music, if you come. Jesus tells Mary in verse 17 to go to my brother and say unto them, I send unto my father. One of the gospels he adds to tell them I have done what I said I would do. And this is a bit troubling to me. Why, why? Now I know God uses people with pasts. Like I've got one. <laughs> Many of us got pasts, things. But you got this ex-harlot, prostitute. This ex-demon-possessed woman there. And Jesus, she's the one that Jesus entrusts her with the message of, her, of his resurrection. And not even that, but the first congregation she's instructed to preach it to were the very ones who should have been preaching it to the world already. Why did Jesus have to send Mary to the disciples to tell them what they were supposed to be telling the world? Well, first of all, they weren't in the cemetery where they should have been waiting on Jesus. They weren't even in the place they should have been. They could have gotten a word early on if they would have been there like they were supposed to be. But Jesus had to spend time sending someone to the disciples to tell them that he had actually did what he said he was going to do. And after all these years of the church and after all that Jesus has done, Jesus is still having to convince the church that everything he promised he's going to do, he will do. See, we got to make a decision today. Am I going to be the crew that's having to be told and begged and convinced that God is doing all that he said he would? 
Or am I going to be part of the crew that, st- that stays around long enough to get a word from God and then goes, tells that word to the lost? Because if our focus is not the lost, I don't think we're really apostolic. If my focus is all about me and my ministry and my kingdom and my family and my life, then I'm not apostolic. And even after Mary went and told them, it still wasn't enough. So Jesus had to go and do some miraculous signs to convince the disciples that he really was risen. Is it possible that we're requiring requiring supernatural demonstrations of the Holy Ghost in the current day church because we still have to be convinced that we are in the service of the one, true, holy, mighty, all-powerful living God? How much more benefit would the kingdom get out of the miracle if we would let Jesus do them for the sake of the lost and not to convince us? To give them a visible demonstration to prove that the message of truth that they just heard is real. Jesus said that he would confirm the word with signs following. The signs are not to convince the church of who our God is, but to confirm to the lost that the word that they just heard is really the truth. So there's really only two sides to this deal. It's those that want it and those that don't. It's the real deal and the pretenders. It's those that just have the same the name and those that have relationship. Uh, look, I'm going to tell you what. Here at New Life, we're going to be a real deal church. Uh, okay, well, I'll tell you what. We're going to be a real deal church, and you can just hitch on board and go with us. If you don't like all this, we can go find you a church to go sit in and be comfortable, and they'll probably tickle your ear and make you feel good. We're going to be a real deal church here at New Life. If God doesn't do it around me, and if God doesn't do it through us, it won't be because I didn't believe him for it. It won't be because we're not in relationship with him. It won't be because we're hiding out so that we're, 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 we're not where we're supposed to be. It's not going to be because I didn't see him and pursue after him for everything, for everything that he has for us. I'm going to be where he is, and I'm going to seek him until he calls my name. Are you willing to seek him? Are you willing to are you willing to set aside your agenda and whatever you got going on to seek him? Are you willing to tarry till he calls you by name? Are you willing to do that? God God, I pray, God, let my spirit be set ablaze, God. And let it burn up everything in me that's not of you, God. Let it shake every fiber of my being. Every fiber of my being that says it's about me. Let it burn that off of me, God. And turn my eyes to you. And turn my attention to you. And turn my heart after you. God, where you're all that I desire. ready to believe God for the biggest things I can. (laughs) My God, we don't need comfort and security and ease. We need revival. 
We need God's glory. This earth doesn't need a church that's just kind of going through the motions and being blessed. They need revival. We don't need small thinking. We need to believe God for billions. We need to believe God to break every chain. We need to stop that God would stop every plan of the enemy. And stop allowing him to just dictate everything in our world. In the name of Jesus, I bind that spirit. My God is greater. My God is greater. God, go to work. God, you're setting addicts free. God, you're healing broken hearts. You're bringing your wayward children home. God, you're, you're lifting up those that are downtrodden. God, you're giving peace to those that are, that are in chaos. I rebuke the enemies attacks on people in our city and in our region and in our world and we push back against his devices and his plans in Jesus name tell that joker who's in charge we need to believe God for every promise we need to believe God for every spoken word now, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to be everything that God's called me to be. I want more of him. I just want more of him. I just want him. I just want him. I'm tired of being distracted by the world. I'm tired of my flesh leading me. I want him. I want him. I want him. There are too many great things to be done for any of us to be comfortable and to be standing on the sidelines. God, there's too much harvest for any of us to just be sitting idly by. Which crew are you going to be in? Which crew are you in? The one where Jesus calls you by name or the one where he tells you that he doesn't even know who you are? Even though you have his name. When we stand on our feet. God's in here. God's in here right now. Oh, there's a spirit. His spirit's moving. Uh, whatever you feel God leading you to do, why don't you do it right now? Why don't you lift your hands, lift your voice, begin to talk to him. If you know if there's things that he showed you in your life, uh, ask him to remove them. If you, if you become apathetic, God Almighty, shake me, God. Stir my inner man, God, into my very core. God, there's people in here that you've never been, you've never repented of your sins. You've never been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God's calling you today. God's calling you today. What's God speaking to you? What's He showing you? What's he asking you to do in your life? What are the things that crowd out his relationship from you? 
Are you comfortable just looking in? Are you just comfortable just kind of coming in and having to touch and seeing some things with God and then heading out? Oh, God, give us a heart like Mary, God. Give us a spirit like Mary that says, God, I can't find you, Lord. But I'm not leaving because I can't find you, God. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to search for you until I find you. Some of you have been in church for a long time, and you've become a little bit cold, and you've become a little bit comfortable. You've got all kinds of excuses why. Man, you need to let God, you need to let God cut that out of you today. Cut those things out and set them upon the altar. Sacrifice them there before God. Hallelujah.